Welcome to Reality Bites. This is Desley Casey, your host. And today I have a job seeker, Julie Collins, uh, on the podcast to talk about her experiences and her thoughts about job seeker and associated issues. Now, Julie is currently uh, a job seeker. She is 56-year-old single mum with a mature-aged daughter. And Julie shares her house, and you can hear in the background, her house with her fur family of three dogs. One who is noisy and hyperactive. Casey, by the sounds of it, is it, Julie? It sure is. <laughs> and, and her two very chilled out dogs. So, Julie, how does it, how is it be living with your fur family? Uh, stressful at times, actually considering the last 14 months, but essentially, um, it, they're keeping me sane. They keep me sane. They're, they're the one constant in my life. I'll give them that. Um, because they don't, they're so chilled. They don't see that they know when I'm stressed, but they're very quick to try and comfort me or give me reassurance that I'm not alone in all this. That is fantastic, Julie. And I think people do need to have somebody or animals or pets in their lives to ensure they don't feel alone, particularly when they're living on a Centrelink benefit like JobSeeker. So my first question to you, Julie, is should people simply be happy with the $50 per fortnight increase in the base rate of JobSeeker that the government has now passed in both houses, which is effectively a $100 per fortnight decrease in JobSeeker once the COVID supplement ends in March? Yeah, well, it's, it's all happening tomorrow, isn't it? It's a start. The $50 is appreciated, I'm sure, by many. However, it goes nowhere to covering the 25-odd years that we've gone, that that benefit has gone without any increases. It's simply not enough. Cost of living has gone up exponentially and it's, it's continuing to go up. Rentals in 1990s were a third of what they are now, even a quarter. Um, the cost of living is, is far, it's far more than what it was 25 years ago. Yet the benefits in both um, job seeker youth allowance has not altered. And that, that to me is a tragedy for those who find themselves unemployed for whatever reason. Right. Yes. I uh, know myself that as a job seeker, the $50 a fortnight, as you say, is appreciated. However, I still can't balance my budget. And no. that is concerning. And I think it would be concerning to a lot of people on job seeker as to whether they can balance the budget to well, actually make ends meet. Yeah, exactly. 
And unfortunately, the general public, and it appears to be the ideology of 100% of politicians at this stage, maybe a two or three don't agree, but the problem of budgeting is not because we can't budget. It's because you can't, you can't pay out more than what your cost of living is. And you can't downsize your spending any more than you already are. People are already and have been doing so for years. Don't use as much electricity. They won't put on their air con or their heating in the appropriate temperatures. They won't cook. They won't buy food or they won't buy medications because a bill is due. Job seekers are in a different position where... I don't know how society thinks this, but according to the majority of people, you know, the internet and a mobile phone is a luxury. And yet you're expected to have access to both when you're a job seeker. And I personally think that, you know, it's, it's an essential necessity in this day and age. So well, people need to be aware of that. Yes, and you can't actually really apply for jobs online on your mobile no. phone because you can't no. really upload any sort of cover letter or resume or what other information they require. You still got to have internet and a laptop at least to yeah. be able to do that, even on seek.com.au where you can yeah. upload your resume and have a fairly well written out cover letter but you still it, got to have internet to do that you still can't do that on your mobile can you no it is possible to do on your mobile back 20 years ago my eyesight would have been far better and doing it on a phone <laughs> would have been a lot easier um but you can do it on your phone just as a just as a point of interest for example you upload documents onto the mygov app on your phone and you've uploaded the document, you then have to phone Centrelink because they don't have a dedicated department or staff allocation to actually look at the uploaded documents unless you tell them they're there. Ah. And that's been since my guys we've created. Right, so, so that's a very interesting thing that even if you, if you uploaded upload them, them, you've still, yep. got to let, you've still got to wait online for however long it takes to get an operator to you have to speak to them, yep. yep. Mm -hmm. And that's been like it since my gov was since it was introduced way back when. Um, and I was told quite clearly by the the staff in the in the um, offices that yes, you know, you need to upload the document. But who checks that? until I tell them that there are documents there because I've been on medical leave, medical certificates since 2016. So every time I upload a document, I need to speak to somebody to ensure that that document has been processed and confirmed as being accepted or I lose my, or I'm in breach. Right, and you still have to have the internet to do that to upload to my yep. gov. The internet is an essential part of today's society. It's the same as having a roof over your head or being able to, you know, turn on a light. Yes, and that's a very good point, that what people consider the essentials or 
what they, and if they had to do it themselves, let's say general public Joe Blow or yep. Mrs. Mrs. Joe Blow suddenly found themselves on Centrelink and suddenly found on a Centrelink benefit, say, let's say Job Seeker, for example, mm. and they didn't have internet, then suddenly they, they actually have to obtain a plan, an internet plan of some stage, whether it's, yep. whether it's ADSL or whether it's NBN. NBN. They, and if they're a in, million people N found themselves in that situation in March last year. Yeah, you just can't take it into the Centrelink office and say, bang, uh, here are my documents because whilst they can do it to a certain degree, you still need to have proof that that's been done, would you say? I, I do agree with that. Say, take for example what happened in Australia in March last year when a million people on Sunday night were told they weren't going to have a job to go to on Monday. So they all traipsed off to the Centrelink offices on Monday morning. Apart from the long waiting lines and they just spiralled around the suburbs all across Australia when this happened, when they actually got to the desk, they were told, you could have done this online. The system crashed a number of times that first week because so many people were taking the advice of the Centrelink staff and trying to do things online. Their systems weren't geared to cope with that number of people logging on at the same time. It, it, it was just a, inevitable that that was going to happen. Having said that, once they were clicked into Centrelink, once they were accepted as job seekers, the majority of those people, and I, I don't know the exact time frame, but a number of those people who originally uh, applied for Centrelink were then told, well, look, you know, we know you can't survive on JobSeeker, but we're going to let you have JobKeeper. So these people who were suddenly unemployed were looking at the pros and cons of going on to both. If they went on Job Seeker initially, they were getting probably around about the $1,100 mark or $1,050 mark every fortnight. On Job, job Keeper, they were getting $1,500. So a lot of them opted for that. And that's how the system worked back then. But the government were very well aware that Job Seeker, at its current form, would not have quelled the masses that were going to be plunged into this diving pool with no floaties. They really, <laughs> they were working to provide the lifestyle that they wanted and that's really good. But suddenly through no fault of their own, they were unemployed and stuck in a queue with what they considered to be doll budgets. They had to come through the whole system and the majority of them got it. And they said, we can't survive on JobSeeker. We're going straight over to JobKeeper, which was wonderful because suddenly they weren't in the same category as bludgers. They had lost their jobs legitimately, like as if everybody that was on JobSeeker hadn't lost their job legitimately. So the great divide started right there and the government did nothing to, to stop that mentality or to allow people the dignity to actually, or not dignity, but allowed people to understand the difference between the two 
and there shouldn't have been any difference whatsoever made. There shouldn't have been any categorisation between job keeper and job seeker. That planted the seed for divide. It's interesting that you say that because I was talking to Mark Tolney from the Australian Workers' Party and yes. we had a little bit of a chat about how, in many respects, the government has pitted Centrelink recipient against Centrelink recipient. Job seekers against age pensioners, Absolutely. job seekers and job keepers. And as he talked about, they really have factionalised the actual Centrelink recipient population. It's kind of like a divide and conquer type yep. of the division, mentality. Exactly. The division lines that the government have drawn by giving the supplement to job seekers. And I can understand the, the angst and the, the hurt that people on DSP and age pensions felt because they got nothing, essentially, on a fortnightly basis. They got two $250 payments, I believe, over the 12 months. But what they failed to um, make very clear to these people, and some got it, some didn't, but what they didn't make very clear was that these, these two support benefits are indexed on a yearly basis to the median wage, which means they got a pay rise every year with the CPI, or they got some sort of increase to their benefit as a percentage of the median wage. Job seeker and youth allowance did not. So what the government effectively did was say, we're not going to beat everybody on a Centrelink support payment if they're a group. Let's break it down. And that's what I think on a personal level, that's what I think the government had every intention of doing. And the people being, uh, for want of a better term, the sheeple have taken that and run with it because it's exactly the type of rhetoric that you see on Facebook, on social media, on the news, that the aged and the disability pension people are bitching about the fact that, you know, job seekers shouldn't be complaining. They were the ones that got $550 straight up a fortnight more than what they, they didn't look at the bigger picture. They just looked at that dollar sign that happened last year and that it went for six months and then we got a supplement up until tomorrow that still didn't give us the same amount of money per fortnight to survive as what the DSP and the age pension was. We've still got all of the same costs, expenses in our lives. So what do you consider the impacts of this bill where they've taken away the COVID supplement and increased the base rate by $50 a fortnight. So what does that really mean to you and job seekers in general? In general, it does nothing. Because we were living in March last year when we got the $550, which brought us up to around about $550 per week to live. That covered our immediate expenses, the roof over our head, the food on our table, the clothes on our backs, the, the once a week, if we were lucky, 
the once a week takeaway coffee or fish and chips, something that, you know, we don't have a lifestyle. We haven't for many years. It also covered things like fuel uh, to get to job providers, to go for job interviews, to go to the op shop and purchase, you know, a $15 outfit that was suitable to go for a job interview for first impressions. It allowed us to get a haircut every three months instead of every 12 months. It allowed us to actually support our local communities. It allowed us to go to markets to, you know, to, to get more bang for our buck. It allowed us to catch up on bills that we had been robbing Peter to pay Paul, either a credit card or a personal loan or a, another, you know, zip pay, after pay, defer it, all those type of things. So we were already budgeting, but all of a sudden we had money for things like if we needed a new pair of glasses that we kept putting off because we couldn't afford them or going to a dentist. I went for eight years without going to a dentist because I couldn't afford to do it. I was one of the unlucky ones that at the end of October last year, when the $550 first stopped and it was reduced down to $250, I was evicted from my 10-year-old family home that I'd, had, I'd been renting for 10 years. And I had gone through all the COVID lockdowns, having people come through the home to buy the home that was sold. And in October, I was told that I had until January the 4th to be out of the property. And I had absolutely nowhere to go. And I was lucky enough because finding a rental was impossible on my own. And circumstances that aren't related to job seeker or anything else, I do have a home now. But for those that are being left out in the cold who have animals, they have no hope. Not only can they not afford it, the, the real estate agents won't even look at them unless they rehome their pets. That you know, maybe old, maybe young, doesn't matter. They're part of their family, but they're being told to let go of one of their family members that has given them solace in this hard 12 months, and they're just told to go and find something else. So the, the $50 a fortnight does nothing to alleviate the pain that every single job seeker goes through on a daily basis. And that's before you go to a specialist like a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a physiotherapist, because let's face it, the majority of job seekers are over 50 year old women who are breaking down after many years of motherhood and working as well. Um, and we can't go to, we can't get in to see specialists that might make us our lives a little bit easier and more employable and more productive within the community and the economy but the government don't look at the big picture they just look at what they're spending out right now and they're saying $50 a fortnight is all you people need to actually survive well it's not and there's millions of people out there that will tell them quite unequivocally, they're $44 a day, that doesn't even cover the roof over their head a day. So how do they propose people are capable of preserving their own sanity as well as their own health to be able to go look for work and gain employment and retain it? 
Yes, mm. picking up on the specialist, I'll just pick up on the medical for a minute if you don't mind, Julie. Yep. Is, is that most specialists will not bulk bill, not even pensioners with a pension card. You still have to pay uh, above the actual bulk bill Medicare rate. Now, yep. whilst you might get $30 for a specialist back from Medicare, you could still be out of pocket close to $100 just for that one specialist appointment. And that's only if you're there for five minutes uh, yes. at the specialist. So depending on how long you're in the specialist office will depend on how much they will charge. And even for on the pension rate or with a health benefits card, so when they try and say, but we have free medical, no, we don't, because most hospitals will basically refer you to a private, or refer you to a GP to refer you to a private specialist. Yes. Which you might have to travel, in my case, when I have to see my specialist, have to travel just over two hours each way to see for maybe an eight-minute appointment. I feel your pain because here on the Central Coast, we don't have any specialists, neurosurgeons or rheumatologists or psychiatrists that bulk bill. We have to travel to either Sydney, which is an hour and a half down the M1 to the south, or we have to travel just over an hour to Newcastle, which is the same distance north from us here. Um, Point of example is four years ago, I had an MRI done on my neck and my spine because I've got severe stenosis. I had the MRI done. By the time I got through the public system, it was 14 or 15 months later, um, I got in to see the neurosurgeon at John Hunter Hospital at Newcastle. He took one look at the scans and said, these are too old, I need current ones and I was placed onto the hamster wheel, going back to get new MRI scans, but again, having to wait the time to get in to see the specialist who again told me, I'm sorry, these scans are too old. So unless I had four or $500 a pop to go and see these specialists right away, and even then they still have a waiting list of around three to four months, uh, if not quite as bad as, 18 months but the same thing applied how do i do that when i'm living week to week sacrificing or swapping out my absolute priorities on a weekly basis and sometimes even a daily basis on whether i eat or whether i put money towards the electricity bill or the rent or whatever it might be so even if I was able to put money aside for a specialist, I then have to hope that it's not over what I've budgeted for because then I've still got to go without regardless. Yes. And, and it shouldn't be like that. And talking about that, and I wonder how people who in the four trial sites and the news job seekers who are going to be put on to the cashless card because oh. if you look at it, they would, they've only got 
disposable income that they can use whichever way they like, 80% has to go on the card if I have, if my understanding is correct. I'm not in an area. That's on the uh, cashless card, yes. And so if they have to pay for specialist bills or even to go to a psychologist, and most psychologists will charge at least $30 over the Medicare rate, Yes. So they've still got to find that $30, and that's even with a mental health plan. Yes. They would still have to pay that $30 to that psychologist because the public mental health system, uh, particularly in New South Wales, well, they actually refer you to the private because they haven't got the staff to deal with uh, the public mental health system or mental health consumers so mm -hmm. you can't get free in nine times out of ten it's like getting the winning the lottery to get a, a case manager which might be a nurse or it might be a social worker or it might be a psychologist mm -hmm. so you can't go through the public mental health system so you have to in the mental health plan with the gp send you private they don't send you to the public mental health system so therefore it's at least $30, depending on what area you, you probably live in. And how can you do that on the cashless card? Well, I just got a new mental health plan mm -hmm. and it was done in February. And the funding in New South Wales has been cut by I don't know how many percent, but it has been cut. I've had no issue in the past of getting 12 psychologist appointments per year under the public health system it hasn't been an issue before the government federally changed it in january last year so instead of every six months you had to have every four months the new referral or the bomb you had to get the new referral and they had to be used within four months instead of in six so that that got a few of them off the off the system because they couldn't the psychologists are so overworked and overrun with people needing mental health especially after the bushfires and the floods and then covid so they were dealing with a lot of average employed people i'll say that you know they didn't see on a regular basis before all of these natural disasters so when the funding was cut at the beginning of this year when my doctor went to put through my referral for my mental health plan, I received the mandatory, you know, you'll hear from us when, when it's been confirmed and processed and uh, permitted for you to go to your psychologist, which I never got. And it was only because I phoned the New South Wales mental health people that I was told that due to funding cuts, it might not be until October, November, before I was able to get use out of my my six psychologist appointments, to which I replied, "But I've been seeing this same psychologist for five years. I need to I need continuity in my health plan." And it was only then that they were able to confirm that they would pass this particular one. But the waiting list for referrals from GPs to get psychologist appointments was anywhere up to nine months. 
Now, if I had been on the cashless card, for example, I could have got the government brought in a mental health plan. I think it was at the beginning of COVID last year where they said, we're going to give everybody 20 mental health appointments with psychologists. They weren't giving away anything. What they were saying was that they would allow people 20 visits to a psychologist at the bulk build rate, but they would have to pay the gap. So it might've been 30, 50, $60, whatever the psychologist charged against the base rate on Medicare. And then you had to pay the difference. So that was 20 that you got of those ones. If you're on the Indu card and you happen to get an Indu operator on a bad day, they won't allow you to spend anything off your card on something that they don't approve of. So you want to hope that whatever you need to spend your money on from your Indu card, that they're, they're able to approve that because there are many people Australia-wide who are now homeless, had to move houses, small, small businesses that have gone bust and shut their doors for good because the IndyCard has destroyed small towns because the people that live in those towns aren't able to access what the government have to supply them in, in Centrelink benefits or social security benefits they're being given to third party like Indu and Indu are being the person that divvies it all out. Your money is not your own. Your personality or your, your actual being is not your own. You're being governed on what you can spend. You've never had an issue with debt before. You've never, you've got a brilliant credit score, but suddenly you're getting black marks against your name because Indu are refusing to pay your rent. And your landlord or your real estate are saying, well, there's a black mark against your name because you haven't paid. It's not because you didn't want to or couldn't. It was because Indu refused to approve a company to receive funds on your behalf. And it's your money. Mm. But the government have given it to Indu and said, it's no longer your money. This is ours. So people have gone through on the Indu card struggling to make that 20% of their money that they're allowed to have, according to the government, trying to pay the things that Indu have refused to pay, including their rent or their medical or their school fees or their clothing allowance, or they take their kids in a case in Seduna, they take their kids to get school shoes only to find out that that store doesn't accept the Indu card. And so his business has gone under. And it was only for the pure uh, generosity of a charity somewhere else in Australia that physically shipped over 300 or could have been even 3,000 pairs of shoes to Seduna so the kids in Seduna would have shoes to go to school with. This is what the government has created in their wisdom of neglecting to a duty of care to the society that voted them in. I don't know how anybody voted someone like that in. I, I, I still don't know. I can't work out. I was picking up on what you were saying. I read only yesterday of a lady 
with children who became homeless because injury refused to pay the rent on time each and every time. Yes. She then tried to use the option of getting off the card and exiting the card. And the reason they gave her that they refused, well, there were two reasons, but one of the two reasons they refused to allow her to exit off the Indu card, off the cashless card, was because of her risk of homelessness. Yes, and she was couch surfing and has been since her long-term rental agreement with her father, because it was cash, the Indu wouldn't pay it. And this and is they the changing yeah. the goalposts, and this is what they're doing all across Australia. And the thing I understand, from what I understand of the Indu card, is is that in these trial sites, the four trial sites, people have no choice as to whether to opt in to re no. receive the card. They're basically forced onto the card uh, unless because they of their postcode because of their, as, as you say, because of their postcode, and then trying to exit the card, even if they leave the area of the trial site and live, say, in Melbourne yes. or Sydney, uh, doesn't matter. It follows them all around Australia, regardless of the fact that they're no longer in the postcode of the, you know, where the Indu card is, uh, is not this government and Indu, by default Indu, instituting a form of state-sanctioned economic and financial abuse? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you look at the statistics, even people that are trying to get out of domestic violence situations are being told or being assisted to move out of the DV situation into one of these four areas. So not only have they survived physical and mental abuse from a partner or family members, now they're subjected to the financial abuse of not being able to even look after their own money. Being told what they can and can't spend. And how would you think so they might that... well stay in their home? <laughs> well, yes. I... I've read some of the stats or of the evaluation report into the cashless card. Uh, mm -hmm. Basically what the evaluation says that 56% say there's been no change to their life circumstances. I think it's 20 or 30% say they're worse off and less around the low 20% uh, say that they're better off. So the card's not doing what it's meant to do anyway, basically. No. And the government know this. They've had four reports How over reports? the last five years, at least four, that How the facts and figures don't stack up hmm. to the government's claim that it works. There are, no, there are no facts that show that it works anywhere. Well, the thing that got me was is that there was an article in one of the Queensland papers about $4 million or $4 billion or whatever, whatever the amount mm -hmm. was, it was for something. It was obscene, and, wasn't it? 
Well, the, well, any rational person who's got a brain, they say they'd saved $4 million or $4 billion worth of uh, sales to alcohol uh, by having the Indu card. It must be $4 million, I think, uh, in Queensland. And But the thing is, if the Indu card was working and the majority of people said it was working, then they could claim it. But the fact is that the evaluations are saying that there's either been, the majority of the evaluations are saying there's been no change to people's circumstances or they're actually worse off. So therefore, how could they be saving that amount of money in, i.e. alcohol, mm -hmm. um, if the card, if the evaluations don't bear out the fact that the card uh, is working? Well, the thing is that people have got workarounds. Uh, there are a couple of groups on, on Facebook that address all of these points in, in better terms than I ever could. But there was one example where in a certain town, and I can't remember whether it was the Hinkler region in Queensland or whether it was the Kalgoorlie, I think it is, in, in Perth. Um, it was on one side of the country or the other. But it actually stated that one store, you couldn't buy bread and milk at that store with your Indu card, but you could buy island coolers, which defeated the purpose. I don't understand how, but it was an example that was shown to be correct by one resident in that area where they couldn't buy bread and milk, but they could buy alcohol, which defeated the purpose of them being on the card. And they weren't even heavy drinkers like alcohol wasn't one of their life's pleasures so to speak but they wanted to prove a point they could go in and buy a six pack of island coolers but couldn't buy bread and milk and given that in these areas they're generally remote and very rural somebody was actually stating they pay ten dollars for a three liter of milk that's highway robbery that is disgusting for a bottle of, uh, for a jar of baby formula that would cost $26 anywhere else in Australia was over $80 in one of these card communities. How is that fair and just? Wow. Do we live in Ethiopia? Do we live in a third world country? This should not be happening here in Australia in 2021. Yes. And yet, there are whole communities that are subjected to these outrageous rules and regulations that come Friday, the 1st of April, we shall see how many of those coming off JobKeeper being placed onto JobSeeker in these areas, being placed on the Indie card. We'll see how they go over the weekend trying to access their funds. It's a long weekend. Right. And we'll yeah. see how many of them jack up by Monday. Yes. And just getting back to Job Seeker at yes. the moment, with the Job Seeker benefit, what do you believe the base rate for Job Seekers should be set at? And how should the government maintain the rises in the future? 
my personal opinion would be that when I see what the so-called poverty line is, and I did read an article last night that, that states that poverty line is subjective to four different criteria. Like there, there are actually four different poverty lines in a society. Um, but given that we generally go on this one particular formula of poverty line, I was looking at the figure saying, wow, that is like, it is, it was either right on the 550 a week or it was just under. I can't recall the actual figure now. To me, $550 a week is the absolute minimum that anyone should be getting on a job seeker support payment. That's when you look at the cost of rentals that even here on the coast is average is 450, 500. In rural remote areas, it's still 250 to $300 a week. Um, and that's, you know, taking into account in a remote area that you have to travel at least an hour to get to a shop or a business to be able to gain employment. Centrelink frown upon anybody who tries to move to these areas for affordable roof over their head because they're claiming that they're just trying to, you know, get out of going to work. We're struggling to put a roof over our head and that is their only option to pay $250 a week for a shed, you know, a roof over our head. I believe that job seekers should be at the very minimum $550 a fortnight. And I think it should be indexed every, look, worst case scenario, every two or three years should be indexed against the, the median wage. And for people that say, well, you know, they're getting $550 a week for sitting on their ass doing nothing. Well, you try doing it. It's not all chocolates and roses. It, it, it's hard yakka. We still have to budget like everybody else. We don't have a lifestyle. We don't have a yearly holiday. We don't drive around in a four-year-old motor vehicle because, you know, it needs to be updated. These, it needs to be indexed against the median wage. Just because I get $550 on JobSeeker, if I was working full-time, apparently the, the lowest mint rate wage that I would be receiving is around about the $780 or $800 a week. I'd much rather be on that and going to work and being productive and actually having a mindset of, you know, being a, a positive in my life rather than just, surviving on just holding my head above water i'm so tired of treading water to to keep afloat the 550 dollars would actually mean that the people who are receiving that payment would then be able to have the bare minimum to enable them to become a productive part of society in the sense of paid employment keeping their local businesses afloat by spending the money that they earn in those communities and thereby the community and the, the economy also benefits from the money that goes out there. That's, that's the second reason that the government, the supplement in the first place, because they didn't want to see everybody go under. They thought that those on job seeker would spend the money in the local communities. And we did. 
we didn't all go out and buy brand new TVs or lounge suites or luxuries. Most of us used it to cover what we had let slide for quite a while. We kept budgeting or part payment plans and this and that. The money that I received out of all that supplement that I got was all used up by November 20th last year on removal costs for me to move house. So I got no benefit out of that apart from the fact that I didn't lose any of my possessions in a move. Right. So I didn't go out and buy anything that was luxurious. Uh, the government appears to want to give the general public a perception that job seekers receive many additional allowances to pay <laughs> freight. Would you care to comment on this? <laughs> what the government wants the general public to believe and what is factual and provable are two completely different things. Yes, as a job seeker, we receive an electricity or an energy supplement of $8 a fortnight, $8.80 a fortnight. That's wonderful. That's $240 a year that we don't have to find to pay our $1,000 minimum yearly energy bills for electricity alone. The pharmaceutical allowance, $6.20 a fortnight, equates to about the same, probably $180 a year. Pardon my mathematics it's probably not very good at the moment um, but that money is for pharmaceutical uh, requirements I myself spend around about $12 anywhere between 12 and $20 a month on medications that I need to take on a daily basis I'm one of the extremely lucky ones as you and I both know there are lots of people out there who are on far more medications than I am and who generally don't get all of them at the reduced rate of $6.30 or whatever it is on the PBS list. So there are lots of people out there who are spending quite a lot of money on their medications and they're the type of people that this $50 a fortnight raise is going to affect the most because not only are they trapped onto JobSeeker because the government and Centrelink have made it impossible for them to fulfil the criteria to get onto disability support payments, but they're also expected to still maintain their medical regime and their uh, specialists and all that kind of thing. So they're, they're getting far worse kick in the head than what people like me are. I'm, I consider myself one of the lucky ones. The fact that the general public see it as you get free medical and you get free electricity all covered by the government as well as your weekly money. Well, hang on a second because there's one major flaw in that argument and that is that they could be put into my situation at any blink of an eye. 12 months ago proved it. If yeah. all these people that are claiming that job seekers are you know, useless at budgeting their money and, and frivolous spending, blah, 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 blah. Well, why was there over a million people waiting on the doorsteps of Centrelink when announced that they didn't have a job on Monday? Because they were living week to week as well. 
So we're not the only ones and we definitely aren't going to be the last. Yes. And on that note, my last question mm -hmm. for you, Julie, is uh, are there any strategies we can undertake as job seekers to raise politicians of all persuasions awareness of the impact of their decisions over the next few months or, or actually even longer term, but particularly be before the federal election comes around? I think while there have been numerous attempts at protests or quiet um, rallies and things like that, I, I still believe that the best way, and I say this with my, my life's expressions, start from your front door and work your way out. So initially you'd go to your local member or your local council and ask them, what have you got in place within your industry or your corporation to assist those who are doing it tough in your community? And then you move out to the, the state politician in your area. Then you move out to the federal politician. Get online, have a look, educate yourself before you make a, a decision on how you would vote. Everybody's saying we need to get the Liberals out. A majority of people on there are saying, well, what choice do we have? Labor's the only one. The Greens will never have, um, you know, will never be able to run the country because their numbers aren't there, blah, 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 blah. But we need to get the message out to the politicians from ground level, from the base route. We need to get the message out there that, the Australian people are willing to work hard and willing to sacrifice a lot in their lives if there's a greater good at the end of it. And I'm a firm believer of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I just find it really difficult to believe that there are that many people in power, ScoMo included, that pretend to be Christians yet don't see the suffering of the people and they're the ones with the power to change that and they have flat out refused and give some cockamamie excuse as to, oh, job seekers are just, you know, they're doing, they're doing okay. We've given them a rise. What have they got to complain about? Don't see anybody accepting that behaviour against anyone they know against anyone that they have a job to protect and the Australian government have a job to protect their citizens yet they're shirking it by putting in place job providers where Centrelink used to have that job. That was government run. That was what the government were put in place to do was to create employment and places of safety for their citizens. They put the Indu card in under the third party of Indu. They're not, you lose entire identity. You lose your identity if you put onto the Hindu card. You don't have a comeback like you do on the government. For, you can't go to the Centrelink, you can't go to an Hindu office and say, look, I need to have this paid or you need to check this out for me. Hindu won't even provide statements to the people that are on, on their card. So the government have shirked their responsibility to the Australian people and Australian people are being hoodwinked by the government into thinking that job seekers 
are the lower of the low. And that's, it's working your way up to get as many politicians on, your, on our side. And it's not just job seekers, it's anybody who finds themselves unemployed outside of their own doing. So it doesn't matter what the natural disaster is. If you're unemployed, it is in the constitution that the government is to look after you. And they're really failing. I'll say 75 to 80% of people on Centrelink benefits are being shafted by the Australian government. And the fact that they give us a $50 pay rise and say, you can have this pittance as a raise, but we need you to apply for 20 jobs a month. That is impossible to do if you are, if you don't hold a, a, a certificate or a, a qualification to be able to be a doctor or a teacher or an electronic or a, a, an industrial engineer or if you don't have the university capabilities or because that's the only way you can't apply for jobs that you're not qualified for. What, what is the point of that? And they've got the job in a job, job seeker when they don't qualify for a job, but who's to say that you did, you know, not the best in your job interview and the interviewer takes offense at you and rings the government and says, this bloke, I offered him the job and he didn't take it. And I don't know what the process is or how stringent their checkpoints are in, their checks are in place. I don't know. And no one will know until it actually happens. I want to be the first on the line to, to call out Scott Morrison because he's failed in his job as the Prime Minister of Australia. He's well, not looked after his people. He's looked after his mates in the top 1% of the income earners, the big corporations. Well, one of the things that I'm concerned about with, when you're talking about the employer's hotline, mm -hmm. if they're going to have an employer's hotline, then they need a job seeker's hotline at the same time. A job exactly. seeker's hotline to actually job in employers who actually do the wrong thing. Who says that politicians are managing their money any better than somebody who is on job seeker? That just because they're so-called rich or 250 grand a year, wasn't it Barnaby Joyce that said he can't afford... I was just about to bring him up as an example. He can't keep two families on that amount. So job keepers are expected to survive on that amount of money for 10 years. If lucky, it'd be 250,000 in 10 years. I want to thank you, Julie, for being on this podcast. I I greatly appreciate your time and also the pearls of wisdom that you've actually imparted, which is really good because it's really important, I think, for Reality Bites as a podcast to hear from people on the ground and I'm focusing on job seekers at the moment and hopefully we'll broaden a bit later, later on down the track because that's where the reality lies. It lies in having to, as you say, like you and myself having to, and I consider myself a one of the fortunate job seekers because I live in 
a permanent resident in a caravan park. I was extremely lucky to get into my accommodation that I have now. I waited over 11 years on the housing list and it was my squeaky wheel approach of phoning uh, Housing New South Wales, approaching my local member of parliament who got the ball rolling because up until that point, I wasn't a priority to be housed. 11 plus years, they got me up there because I was about to be homeless. Yes. So I consider myself extremely lucky because there are thousands of people out there who have got the real, very the very real possibility of living in their cars or on the streets come Monday morning. Absolutely. And on that note, I will say thank you very much. And this is Desley from Reality Bar. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. <laughs>